0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. All right, coming up. Got a couple things to get to here. uh, And I want to start with something that broke right at the end of the show yesterday. I think this is really interesting. We're going to spend some time on it later in the show. Stuart Mandel, who's written for multiple national publications. He's currently editor-in-chief at The Athletic. uh, Covers a lot of college sports. And on the business side of college sports, he's got a story out. And he takes a look and kind of looks at the projections for the next decade. What is the average payout per member for the big conferences going to look like, the Power Five conferences, going to look like over the next decade? And it's a mixed bag of news for Pac-12, but I think it's bad news for the Mountain West and Utah State. I think it's bad news for BYU. The Power Fives are going to get richer and richer I mean they're already richer, but they are going to continue to pull away and disappear over the horizon. Uh, right now, uh, as of 2019, with the 2019 numbers, so not as of right now, but uh, as of a year ago, uh, the Big Ten was at 51 million, the SEC at 44, the Big 12 at 39. The Pac-12 at 31 and the ACC at 29 million bucks. That's the payout per school in the league. Obviously, uh, it's not the total league revenues. Some leagues have 10 and 12 and 14, but that's the payout. And so you can see the Pac-12 is in front of the ACC just barely, within shouting distance, but behind the Big 12, and then really trailing the Big Ten and the SEC. He projects the revenue. Over the next decade, is basically going to double. The PAC-12 is going to go from 31 million to 60 million. They're going to pull away from the ACC at 51 million. The ACC will be the poorest of the Power Five. Uh, the Big Twelve, uh, the. Pac-12 closes the gap a little. When the ACC is at 51, the Pac-12 is at 60 million. The Big 12 is about $6 million in front of the Pac-12 at 66, but the SEC at 82 and the Big 10 at 89 million per team. So, the Big 10 and the SEC, 14 team leagues in the most populous part of the country. Those leagues are in the central and the eastern time zone, which is where, you know, ballpark numbers, about seventy percent of the country lives. So they've just got more fans. They got more big cities, they got more states. And the big the the SEC's got fourteen teams in eleven states. So you know their footprints and there are just so many people in there. You know, I think the ACC's hurt by the fact they got four teams in North Carolina. You know, and it's just it's hard to make a lot of money. $51 million for the ACC. So, it's going to get better for the Pac-12. Uh, they're going to remain within shouting this is the Big 12 and better than the ACC. It's kind of a big two and little three, really, is what it comes down to. The Big 10 and the SEC are really going to pull away. So, good news, bad news for the Pac-12. Uh, things get a little better. and <clears throat> They double their payout, so they're going to have a lot of cash coming in. But what does this mean for the Mountain West and, the, and BYU? How far up the track are they going to be? You know, And, and the Mountain West just got a nice payout, but they're they're not going to get to 60 million they're they're not, i don't think they're getting to 30 million now he only stuart mandel only projects the tv deals for the power 5 but that's going to leave the mountain west way up the track you know for BYU you're basically selling five football games to espn uh, you play six home games, but one of them usually goes to BYU TV. It's usually against a Big Sky school or somebody playing at that level. So you got five games. I mean, even if those games got to the point where they were worth four million a pop or five million a pop, that would be twenty or twenty-five million dollars. I think that's high end. I think that's a little optimistic. Now maybe they can get there, but twenty or twenty-five million, when everybody else is getting sixty, now they get a little bit of a payout from the West Coast Conference, but they they're just. They're just going to be left in the dust, and and that might those four to five million that that could be optimistic. I I can't tell you that I'm good at predicting what the numbers are going to look like out in 2029. I don't, uh, but it just seems like four and five would be big numbers. That seems high end of the scale. I don't know if they can get there or not. But that would be 20 or 25 million when Utah and the Pac-12 are getting 60 million. Holy cow. All right, more than this coming up later in the show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Got Barry Trammell coming up, talking Oklahoma State football. Uh, Another day, an apology now from Coach Mike Gundy. One minute looking straight into the camera, saying he's sorry. He didn't realize that the OAN network was so hard on the – on the Black Lives uh, Matters and just really critical of them. And so now he's disgusted. But, you know, how's that going to play when it's time to recruit? We'll talk about that coming up. And also, uh, PK's got a card collection, a baseball card collection. It turns out could be worth a little bit of money. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
1: Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. We are joined now by Barry Trammell, sports columnist for The Oklahoman and NewsOK.com. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Barry, good morning. Hey, guys, how's things in Salt Lake? Oh, probably pretty much like you think they are. I don't think... I don't think we're doing anything that unusual or different than anybody else. How about you? How are things in Oklahoma City? We're we going
2: we to have an NBA season. A, a Thunder, Thunder Jazz first round series.
0: I can't guarantee you that. It's too close. Three, four, five, six. I think they're going to play. I, I know that there people their people have the reservations, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of money at stake, and I think they're going to play. But I can't guarantee you it's going to be Jazz Thunder.
2: Well, I hope they do play. I need some basketball.
0: <laughs> so I guess the uh, we have a couple things we want to talk to you about, and we can hit the basketball first before we get to the college football. Uh, has Chris Paul been very visible in Oklahoma City during this? Because it seems, I mean, he's got the title. He should be a key player, but it seems like the stuff I'm reading, his influence even goes beyond his title. And he's the president of the Players Association, but it seems like he's, everywhere, in every conversation with everybody right now.
2: Yeah, he's not been terribly visible in Oklahoma City. We've had one Zoom call with him uh, on a local basis. That's it. But I think you're right. I think he has become – it sounds to me like the uh, agreement that they came to for the the 22 teams in Orlando – it seems like, with help from subordinates, that this was largely a Chris Paul, Adam Silver concoction. So, uh, speaking for the players, Chris Paul was. Now, right in the recent days, we see that there's some dissent. You know, other people are saying some other things, and so we'll see how it plays out. But I do think Chris Paul was uh, at the forefront of this agreement that we have uh, that we came to what's been now 10, 12 days ago.
3: Yeah, with that in mind, it did seem like at the time that the players were on board, and now we're hearing a little bit of backlash as far as Chris Paul and the leadership of the players' union. Do you think that that's a surprise to them?
2: Well, I I, I have to think it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, it's sort of a little bit funny that it's led by a player who's not going to play no matter what we do, Kyrie Irving. Um, I do think, though, that the uh, the protest movements across the country have had a have had a factor in in, in the, the thinking of the players. I do think that's a major consideration for them. So I, I can see where the needle is moved, and some of the things they were considering. There, you know, they have to consider other things now. So I'm not saying they're not they're not valid, but. Uh, I do think it's a little bit of a surprise because I don't think the NBA would have moved on the uh, suggestion without without pretty, pretty big confidence that this would, uh, this would be widely accepted.
0: So are you hearing anything uh, from the organization in Oklahoma City as far as the ensuing season, when it might start, if there could be fans, could it be pushed back, or is that just a big series of question marks and who can guess now?
2: Yeah, we don't hear anything from the Thunder. Uh, we actually we get we get more solid news out of the North Koreans than we do the Thunder. It's one of the you know the lockdown societies in, in American sports. Um, you know ESPN reported that Clay Bennett made the made the plea for all thirty teams, which was interesting when when that went down. That now seems fairly quaint. Because it looks to me like if we go any direction from 22, we're going to go down, not up. With uh, you know the coronavirus numbers uh, rising in Orlando, it doesn't seem, you know doesn't seem as uh, fail safe as it was a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah, no, the Thunder really hasn't given us any indication what's going to happen.
3: So the other big story, obviously, was uh, Gundy with the T-shirt. Uh, what was the general reaction to folks in the Oklahoma in Oklahoma City area, but the state generally, as far as that went?
2: Well, I mean, most of the fans are outraged that Gundy has come under fire. We're a red state. Donald Trump's opening his campaign Saturday in Tulsa. Going to have a big rally in Tulsa. So this is this is Trump territory. This all really stems back to April. You know, if Gundy had just shown up with an OAN T-shirt going fishing, most people wouldn't even know what he's talking about. What, what it even refers to. I don't think Chuba Hubbard would have known. But in April, we do our one and only to this to this point Zoom call with with Gundy on uh, since the pandemic started. And unsolicited, he goes, on a, uh, he goes on a preamble in which he uh, endorses Trump, in which he calls for a quick opening of all athletic facilities, and he gives us about a five-minute sermon on how the mainstream media is, uh, is not to be trusted, and he's discovered this great new network, One America News. Frankly, it's the first time I've ever heard of it, and I've never heard of it since in any other context except Mike Gundy. But it's clearly a pro-Trump uh, organization, which, if you like Trump, that's fine. But my point is, if you're a college football coach and you support Donald Trump publicly, exactly how are you going to go recruit 18-year-olds? linebackers from Dallas and Houston and Tulsa and Oklahoma city who are black in this environment. I don't think you are. And we saw that bubble over when, when Shuba Hubbard tweeted out, Hey, this is not acceptable. I'm not participating in anything Oklahoma state related. Hubbard is not just some player. He's a all American tailback, a great player. He's a guy who endorsed Gundy's program in the winter coming back he could have went to the nfl draft instead he uh he says i want to play another year so not a rabble rouser he's not a troublemaker he's a, he's a guy you're proud of to be in your program and here he's calling out his coach so i think it's a problem um they they issued a video late last night and it was a little bit of a strange thing hubbard apologized for going to social media gundy didn't really apologize but said he's going to try to do better but it's a mess it's a total mess in this day and age I don't see how a college football coach can connect with uh, black families when uh, he's uh, so politically to the right
0: So, Gundy's been there 15 years, and I was reading some stuff. There's some national people out there who are just, you know, the tail's wagging the dog, the football coach is the most powerful program, nobody holds Gundy accountable, this isn't the first time, they went to other controversial stuff he's said or done. Uh, None of this happens in a bubble. You know, for a while, he was on a tremendous run, Uh, they were averaging 10 wins a year, they had double-digit win seasons at Oklahoma State six times in eight years, but the last two years... He's 13, or He's fifteen and eleven, and he's eight and ten in conference. So, is the power wobbling there? Is he winning enough? Because winning's a massive part of the equation. Well, he has
2: he has burned his bridges with the administration, and not just not the winning, not the one loss record. He's been hard to deal with from an administrative standpoint for quite some time. And the fans, most of them are still with him. Most of the fans like him. But he's really just become, your analysis was spot on. He's not really been held accountable for some of his actions. Feuding with donors and administration. uh, Dallying with other jobs that he clearly is not interested in taking. Um, the, uh, The deal in April, which... You know, forget, the, forget the Trump part about it. Forget the network part about it. Just the idea that in early April, you was saying, hey, we we need to open up May 1st. Nobody in America was calling for that. Uh, that was in defiance of the Big 12 and the university and everybody else. So he's, he's not made many friends in high places. So this was, you know, now if, if the players are now revolting, you know, you're getting it on both ends. I don't know. It, to me, it's an untenable situation. And I think Oklahoma State would like to move on from Mike Gundy. They just don't really know how.
3: Hmm. That's interesting as far as moving on from him. What type of support does he have from influential alumni?
2: Oh, it's whatever support he's got is mostly Regents-based. Uh, you know, he famously feuded with Boone Pickens for the last ten years, eight years. So he doesn't have a ton of big donor support, but he does have regents in his corner. So, uh, you know, maybe that's all that's kept him from from cutting him by now. that in the contract, you know, he's got a huge contract, big buyout. You know, these are times where, you know, no college, no university can afford to just pay somebody off going down the road so you know those are all there's financial situations there's political situations heck you, you know you got to worry about the fans because like I said the fans are mostly in his corner so it's a big mess and it's what happens when you let a coach sort of float out there and, and uh, be his own be a be a lone soldier without any accountability
0: so where do they fit in the Big 12 going forward? Because if he wins, uh, he's going to keep the fans. If he doesn't, well, then he's in trouble with some administrators, some players, some fans. Man, it really starts adding up. And your record isn't as good. Where do they fit in the Big – how good are they in the Big 12 going forward?
2: Well, this coming season, they, they should be really good. They've got, their, they've got their playmakers back, quarterback returning, superstar tailback, superstar receiver and Tylen Wallace. Decent offensive line, and they got most of their defense back. They're going to have, a, on paper, they're going to have a great year. On paper, they're as good a pick as any to make the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma. So it could be a special year for OSU football. Now, you know they still got to do it, but you're right. If you know they, they could, they could win big, and that, you know, that makes uh, Gundy even more empowered. He could also uh fall flat, go eight and five again and all of a sudden he loses more support. So it's it's an interesting situation. Of course we don't even know what's gonna happen with this season. So, you know, they may not even get to play thirteen games, but it's a uh it's wild times in Stillwater, I tell You, you they don't really you know, you we, we in, in this state we look to Norman for sort of guidance on Here's how things are running, and this is what the future looks like, and here's what we should be looking for. And we look to Stillwater for crazy things to write about. So they're (laughs) they're supplying them.
3: (laughs) So it seemed like by uh, the thing broke earlier in the day with the T-shirt, and you're right, I had never even heard of the OAN until I saw it on the Van Gundy thing because I heard, oh, t-shirt and then I open up the store and you know what the heck is he talking about and then I saw him what is this and I had to become educated on what the actual network was I had no idea and then by the end of the day it seemed him and uh, he and the player are hugging and, and Gundy's talking about making changes you have any idea what those changes would be? No
2: I have no idea um, I don't know why he can change I mean if the player's you know, how do you, at the least, at the least, Mike Gundy is insensitive to the Black Lives Matter movement, at the least. I don't know how you change just that. I mean, if you're the head coach of a college football team, I mean, you, you need to show some sensitivity, even if you don't agree with it. Keep your mouth shut and and try to at least listen to your guys or don't make waves. And I think that's really what, what they wanted. You know, all kinds of players have been tweeting in support of Chuba Hubbard, saying all kinds of things. I, I think Gundy actually has run a pretty good ship in terms of culture, treating players right. You know, they don't, they don't allow the coaches to cuss players. They take pride in, in giving players a, a good experience. And like I said, Juba Hubbard himself endorses the program by his decision to come back. So I don't know what Gundy can do to show that he actually is sensitive to the to the concerns of the entire movement. Uh, you know, if, if if you're if you're not sensitive to something, can you just change by saying, "Well, I am going to be sensitive"? I don't know. Uh, it's not rocket science. It seemed to me anybody's paying attention for the last three weeks realizes that something has changed in our country. This wasn't just some, you know, flashpoint and all of a sudden we go back to the way we were. This, this seems different than anything we've seen in the last 50 years. And for Mike Gundy to not realize that, to me, is alarming.
0: Well, the thing that occurs to uh, that occurs to me as I listen to you spell this out is that there must be other college football coaches who support Donald Trump, and none of them have said or done anything like Gundy.
2: No, you're exactly right. I mean, those that if if you if you really want to make a if you really want to make a stand for Trump, you do what Tommy Tuberville get out of coaching and run for Senate. What Tommy Tuberville did, he may he may make it to Washington, which is fine. I, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be take sides politically here. I'm just saying, if you're if you're coaching college football players, if you're recruiting high school football players, I don't know how you sell anything if you come out for Donald Trump because clearly they're on the other side of Trump. I'm not saying who's right or wrong. I'm just saying. That's the divide, and if you're on the opposite side, I I think your ability to do that job is impaired, and that's the problem Oklahoma State has.
3: Yeah, I, I, I get I get what you're saying. I think we get what you're saying. Did any of that thing with Utah and the Morgan Scally thing did that make any uh, make any dent in the news back in Oklahoma and Big Twelve country? Uh, repeat that question. I don't know if you were aware of the Morgan Scally thing. With um, he sent a text that included the n word, and he sent it to a recruits family down in Houston. I don't know if that made any waves in Big Twelve. Countries. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we
2: you know, and we've we've uh, uh, we I've read that you know and these things have popped up around the country. We saw what we saw at Iowa and Clemson and. Florida State and a variety of places. So um, what what I see is this. I see players are empowered in the last three weeks to step out and say more. And, you know, for years, for decades, for a century, players have sort of acquiesced to their coaches. They've kept quiet. They don't make waves when they do. They sort of stand on their own, end up transferring, don't really uh, have much, uh, much uh, uh, walkway. That seems to have changed to me. Players now feel empowered. Players are saying, hey, listen, here's what I see and here's what I think. And they've sort of got coaches and programs and universities a little bit on the run because they're not accustomed to this. They don't know how to react to it. They don't know how to respond. And players have a voice and a power that maybe they've always had but didn't know that they could use. And we're seeing more and more of them use it.
0: Barry, we'll leave it there. As always, we appreciate your perspective. Thanks for coming on and talking a little uh, NBA and a little college football with us. Well, I appreciate it. I hope, uh, hope we have some basketball soon. That, that would be nice. Barry, thanks for coming on. See you, guys. There's Barry Trammell, sports columnist for the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com. We love having him on the air. And, hey, man, recruiting, that is the the lifeblood of the program. Now, if you can't go in and recruit, I don't know, I, I always feel like that expression is a little too over the top. You know, you can't go and recruit. Well, you can. You can still recruit. People want to play in the Big 12. They want to play Division I football. You know, they want playing time. I think where if you really get specific, what it comes down to is everybody wants, you know, the best recruit. Right. But if you list the top 10 running backs in the country in a high school class, you know, is Oklahoma State going to be able to get one of them? Are there 10 schools that will uh, snap them up and kids are like, well, I can go book playing time at this school over here. Why would I come to you and deal with this? Or, you know, I just pick 10 as a number. What about 20 or 30? I mean, the thing you see looking at Oklahoma State is that Gundy's been pretty good at getting him into the top 20. He rarely gets him into the top 10. Now, given their history, Oklahoma State hasn't gotten spoiled about that yet. And you can see it happening at some point. But, you know, these last two years, they're, they're 8 and 10 in conference. They got to do better than that. And so, to what degree? Now, they are picked. I, I was looking at some preseason predictions. Uh, they are picked to go like 9-3 and three this year. You know, their quarterback's back. Their star running back is back. I mean, they got, they got some key pieces of this team. They're supposed to be pretty good. Um, and this could be Gundy's best team in three years. You know, if he can even get to 9-3, and three, win a bowl game for 10-3, and three, well, it's been three years since he's done that. So we'll see how it plays out for him. Uh, all right, DJ and PK coming up. Uh, story out of New Jersey. Uncle Jimmy, 96 years old. In a uh, small town, just right down the road from where PK grew up, literally like probably five miles from the house he grew up in New Jersey, this guy passes away at the age of ninety-seven, and he leaves. He doesn't have any kids. He leaves to his nieces and nephew a baseball card collection that was mind-blowing. I mean, it is it's the it's the unicorn of baseball collections. You know, autographed Lou Gehrig, autographed Jimmy Fox. I mean, lots of great players from the '60s and '70s. You know, you can go back fifty years, but you can go back a hundred years. Jimmy Fox, Lou Gehrig, and six autographed Babe Ruth cards. So that got P.K. thinking about his collection. So Ryan Mogg, owner of Mystery Sports Cards in Orem, will appraise P.K.'s, it'll be a rough appraisal, right? Because you can't see them. But he'll appraise what P.K. has uh, has collected over the years and held on to. And we'll do that, it'll blow your mind. We'll do that next. Stay with us. Yesterday we were talking about a story out of New Jersey, Boonton, New Jersey, right by Parsippany, just right down the street from where PK grew up, literally. And uh, there's a 97-year-old guy, Uncle Jimmy, he passed away and stunned his nieces and nephews. He, He didn't have kids, but he stunned his nieces and nephews by leaving them a massive baseball card collection they found in the attic. Six signed Babe Ruth cards in mint condition, all expected to go for over $100,000. Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox cards, on and on through the decades. Reggie Jackson rookie card, a Jackie Robinson card from 1949, a Pete Rose card. It's uh, They're they're selling this in lots. It's going to take a month to auction it off. It's expected to bring in several million dollars. It's going to be auctioned off as 2,000 separate lots. So, PK, you started sharing, and you've actually, and you'd always told me you had a collection, but yesterday, and you ought to grab it if you can, yesterday you started really, reading some of the cards you had, you've got a pretty good collection. And you said you needed to go get it appraised at some point, so we decided, why not do it right now? We're bringing on Ryan Mag, owner of Mysteries, Mr. Ryan Mog, owner of Mysteries Sports Cards in Orem. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So uh, how fired up were all the collectors when they heard about this uh, uh collection in New Jersey that this 97-year-old man left behind for his nieces and nephews.
4: Well, it's fun to hear about. I I think it's something we all dream about, you know, going through someone's attic and finding a Honus Wagner card that could be worth millions of dollars.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, they're doing it. (laughs) So PK's got a few cards here and he's got a, uh, I was surprised when he started reading them off yesterday, uh, I assume the Padre catcher Bob Barton that that card is worth ten to fifteen cents, but we can move on <laughs> we can move on to some of the bigger names PK tell him some of what you got, and obviously he can 't see them so he can 't give a precise evaluation, but he can still kind of ballpark on how good these cards are and how rare these are and, and what you got going there.
3: All right, I have a Steve Carlton 1970 baseball card in which he is wearing a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. I did not even realize Steve Carlton, who was born in St. Louis, uh, his first five years in the big leagues were with St. Louis, and I think it's in pretty good condition. What am I looking at?
4: Okay, so uh, it's not his rookie card, unfortunately. That's usually the one that's... Yeah, that's the one that's worth the most money. Is his rookie card? Um, this one? Uh, do you remember back in the day they had a, a book called the Beckett that would give I, you a price? I don't know. Of your, you don't. You don't. Okay, you don't know about this. Okay. Well, in the eighties and nineties, there was a, a book called a Beckett, and it would give you a price of what these cards are worth. Now that card is probably about an eight dollar card. I would say eight to ten dollars in, in the Beckett now if it's in perfect condition and i could tell you about grading cards there's there's these companies that grade cards now the three major ones would be psa beckett and uh sgc and if you have them graded really high the scale is between one and ten if it is a ten that ten dollar card could multiply exponentially so, for example, uh, that Steve Carlton, if you can get it in a, let's say, a 9 it's a $100 card. So it multiplies by 10 if you kept it in good condition, really good condition.
0: What if I, what if I put it on my bike and uh, paper-clipped it into the spoke so it made a cool sound? What would that be worth? <laughs> then it became 10 cents. <laughs> okay, good. It's All my cards are in
3: good condition, I have to let's say. I think it. they are. Yeah, they're all, it looks like they're all 1970.
4: That's good. That's good. That's a good year. So you got Nolan Ryan's out of there.
3: That's my favorite one. I have Nolan Ryan in a Mets uniform, yes.
4: Okay. Well, that's a good one because uh, that'll probably book out about, no, I'd say, $90 to $150 nice. in raw condition. Now, if it's graded and you get a nine out of it, it'll get you $2,000. Oh!
0: oh, man. What are your. Yeah, if, you get
4: <laughs> if you can get a nine out of it, it's it's tough, you know, because we didn't know to keep them in good condition. We would Put them in our spokes spikes, right? But <laughs> but
3: I, I I never put them in any bike spokes. Mm. I, I, I never okay, did thank that. Goodness. <laughs> thank no, goodness. I, I think you know I can't really compare it because I'm not a a card aficionado, but I uh, I believe my 1970 Hank Aaron card with the Braves is in good condition.
4: Okay, there's another good one. If you can get a nine in that, you'll get uh, 800 to to
0: $1,000, it looks like. Whoa!
3: DJ, it's been nice doing the show with <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> this is quickly becoming PK's favorite segment of the day, right? So I got, I got same, I got Wooly
3: Stargell. I got Roberto Clemente. Okay, Clemente, I think he'll go for over
4: two thousand.
0: <laughs> if if T-K, it's in a nine, T-K, so T-K.
4: you <laughs> you need to keep that in mind that it's really tough to get a nine. Okay, a seven. Well, well, get, the the give, difference give, between uh, seven and a uh, sorry, the, I'm the thinking of between uh, a seven and a nine is, is you almost can't even tell.
3: Yeah, I got gotcha. you, and I and I wouldn't know. But I can I can send you I can send you a picture of the of the cards. I think that for as old as they are, I think my Willie Mays one has uh, a little scuff on the bottom. But my Willie McCovey one and my Bobby Bonds one looks really good. I I think so anyway. I got multiple Willie McCoveys. I probably got uh, three or four different Willie McCoveys.
4: Oddly enough, I think the card that would get you the most money out of that uh, entire 1970 set would be a Johnny Bench All-Star card, if you can get that in pristine condition. That seems to be one of the most. Okay, I got,
3: let's see, Johnny Bench, I got a, it's a card of him, uh, oh, it would have been 19, it's it's, uh, 19, his stats on the back run through 1972. And he's making a catch in front of a field-level dugout that doesn't have uh, steps. And then also, too, okay. I've got a sporting news card of Johnny Bench. Okay. And so if the stats on the back
4: said 72, yeah. then the card's probably going to be a 1973. Exactly. That's the best way yes. to tell. It'll always be the year after. Right, right. Um yeah, so uh, Johnny Bench. Let me see. Uh, um, you say that one's in pretty good shape.
3: Yeah, I think they. I. I. They, they're all in. My mother put them together and all the and put them in little slots. So I got for each page, I've got nine cards, and they're all in okay. individual uh, sl- slots or whatever you would say. You used the word DJ mm-hmm. yesterday. I can't remember what the word you use. Yeah,
0: sleeves. It's like a little sleeve. Plastic. Okay.
3: Yeah, page. You.
4: Well, we call them just pages. Yeah, no, they're just pages in a binder. Um, I'm not finding your Johnny Bench here. Let's see. Oh, nope, there we go. Okay, that one, uh, if you can get a 9, it's only about 400 to $500. But if you can get a 10, which is a perfect card, it's perfectly centered, never been touched, especially in, like, rubber bands or something, um, you get $2,300 for it. So, so it, I should it, probably it not take them actually, out of the
3: little binders. I'm going to leave them in there. I don't want to. Screw I
4: would it up. leave them there for now. Yes.
3: <laughs> okay. Gosh, dang it, man! I good thing I've been washing my hands every three uh, every three breaks, <laughs> you know, for the other thing.
4: Well, that's another thing is the uh, the whole COVID thing. Everyone's bringing out their old cards, and uh, you know, they're selling them on eBay, and it's it's caused cards to go up in value. So just over the last few months, you know, these cards have come up quite a bit.
3: What you Especially say? I didn't hear ones? that last part. Say that again <laughs> for me. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: They're worth more than you thought, right? Sweet home Alabama. <laughs> uh, did you have a – what was the number on the Willie Mays card? I didn't catch that, or if I did, I, I, I blanked out.
3: So, so did he, I. He said it was deemed up, right? Uh, it has a little scuff down in the bottom left, the Willie Mays one. But, I mean, it's just, it's just turned up a little. And this is from 1970, right? Well, I don't want to touch it now, but uh, let's see. Oh, I could look on the back. I don't need to touch it because she only had uh, Willie Mays. Yeah, it runs through. Willie Howard Mays runs through the 69 season.
0: Uh, okay,
4: yeah. If that one were to get a 9... Uh, you'd be at about $650.
0: But it doesn't sound but, like uh, it will. But an eight,
4: yeah, yeah. So let's see, with the scuff on the bottom, uh, um, I mean, I'd have to see how bad it is. If it's if it's a crease, I mean, it probably dropped all the way to like 20 bucks. Uh,
3: real little minor crease, but, you know, we're getting into minutiae. Okay, here. yeah, it's... It, you can see on eBay all the time.
4: You could take any one of these cards and look them up on eBay and find out what people are asking. But what you want to do is look at completed listings, and you'll get a pretty good estimate of what all your cards are worth, and then you'll see that ones that make the most money are the ones that grade higher. Right. But, yes, yeah, it's that makes sense. a piece of cardboard that people pay money for.
3: I also have a lot of... Uh like uh, 1970 American League strikeout leaders, and it's got Sam McDowell across the top, and then in, below them to the left, Mickey Lowledge and then in the right, Bob Johnson. Those types of cards. Yeah, so,
4: yeah some of those that have other players on them, um, they tend not to be as much as the card where it's an individual star. Even if you had, like, say, Willie Mays, uh, Mickey Mantle, and someone else on the card, that card tends to be worth less than, say, a Mickey Mantle card
3: just by himself. Right. I understand what you're saying. Oddly enough, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I buy that. How about somebody like a Kurt Flood who was so instrumental in what he did off the field as opposed to on the field?
4: So, uh, you know, his cards will tend to... To be lower in value just because he wasn't as good on the field, but I mean, you get a guy like uh, uh, you know Kirk Flood or Bob Euchers, an example of that from the '60s. You know, he played on Mister Belvedere. His cards are worth money because he uh, he became a an actor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's all relative. It's what people are willing to pay.
3: How about for somebody their popularity. like a, like a Joe Tory I've got two cards of Joe Torre, and, you know, he was a pretty good player in his day. Yeah. And obviously became a Hall of Fame manager. Right. Yep. Yeah, like, um,
4: for instance, some of his cards will book out um, in raw condition for like $10 or something. But if you get like a 10 in, 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 say, the 1970, 1971 tops, it'd be about a $250 card. If it were to get a nine or a ten, you'd probably be looking over a 200.
0: Cool, good for me. <laughs> okay, so those are the those are the baseball cards. Do do basketball cards hold even a fraction of the allure and and I guess money and profit? Also, when we're
4: talking when we're talking to old timers, unfortunately. Not as much. Uh, but when we're talking about like Michael Jordan, yes, especially since uh, his documentary came out, his cards have skyrocketed. So basketball is just shooting through the roof right now. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. I think uh, a PSA 10 Scottie Pippen sells for like $2,000 on eBay right now, if I'm not mistaken, which is kind of ridiculous because that's the era where they overproduce the cards. The, the late 80s, early 90s. All but right. that's the market now. I mean, basketball is going up for sure.
3: Yeah, I got a bunch of old-time basketball cards, too. I don't
4: if you can right. get them graded, they still go for good money.
0: Cool. Well, Ryan, we appreciate coming on in a few minutes. He owns uh, Mystery Sports Cards in Orem, and uh, maybe him helping price PK's cards to get some of you thinking about what you got in your attic or your garage. Uh, Ryan, where are you in uh, Orem for people who want to come down and uh, show you what they've got or show you what they were left by Grandpa who collected them?
4: <laughs> so we're at 720 South State. We're in the same complex as the Larry H. Miller used car. Uh, group um, right across the street from the Sierra Theater.
3: I got one more for you. How about a Jim Bunning? 1970 Jim Bunning. Now, obviously, he went in the political arena. He was a pretty good pitcher in the States of Phillies, and I think it's in excellent condition. And he, what was he, a senator or congressman? He served in political office, right? Congressman, I think. Okay, give me
4: the number on the card on the back. The year? Uh, no, there's a card number that'll be up in say like uh, the left hand corner, right hand corner.
3: Uh, Jim. Not yeah,
4: one that actually appears. So he's probably going to be what we call a, a a minor star. And if those grade at a nine, you'll only get about thirty bucks.
3: Well, uh, you mean like tops four oh three tops.
4: Yeah. Yep. So so it'd be card number four oh three, yeah. which doesn't show as a a major star.
3: Come on, he had no Um, hitters in both leagues. It was one of only two pitchers in history to record better than 1,000 strikeouts per league. What are you talking about? You're trying to lowball me, aren't you, dog? (laughs) Hey, I love Nolan Ryan better. Sorry, man. (laughs) Nolan Ryan, would it matter? Like, Nolan Ryan in a Mets uniform versus... Well, what would he be known for? Maybe Angels. more Astros, Rangers. more Angels? Rangers.
4: Uh, yeah, well, that was his first team was the Mets. So, Correct. So, you know, if you have his rookie card, everyone loves that. I mean, that, that's a prime example I like to show in grading. If you can get an 8 in an '09 9 rookie card, it's $3,000. If you can get a 9, it's $30,000.
3: Oh, man, no, it's not his rookie card again. It's 1970, so he'd only yeah. made uh, three appearances. He got up in the big leagues in 67 and then spent, or 66 and spent 67 back in the minors and then got back to yep. stay in the bigs in 68. But it says tops uh seven twelve, Lynn, Nolan, Ryan. Yep, yep, that's the
4: the one that I was telling you could be 1800 bucks if you get a nine out of it.
3: Oh, I can. I can get a nine. I can easily get a nine. <laughs> I've gotten it. many nines in my life, <laughs> let me tell you about it. <laughs> George Thomas Seaver. There you go. Top 300. Year. Yeah, it's yeah, the same year. I didn't even know Tom Seaver's first name was George.
4: Yeah, if you could get a nine
0: out of that, it's at least 300 bucks.
3: Yeah. All right, man. Summer
0: party's on me. All right, PK. <laughs> do it. You're going to have to go get the full analysis and let them, uh, you know, do you put on, is it like with, uh, you know, the gemstones? You know, you go to the jeweler and they put that little thing in their eye, the little thing, and they stare at it. They talk to you. It's totally intimidating.
4: I'd probably just have a little magnifying glass. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thanks for a few minutes, Ryan. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and uh, giving PK a ballpark on what he might be able to expect. Thank you. Hope they grade high. Ryan Mogg owner of Mr. E's sports cards in Orem. How about that PK? Didn't know you up had that grade high too I know I bought low <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know you had that parked in the corner all these years might really be well, something I
3: mean I did and, and I have a friend who asked me you know when are you gonna do something about it and I have he texted me and I've been meaning to uh, but you know I haven't I haven't done it yet but I, I mean I have them my mother put them together. And they're here. And I knew, I've always known that I could probably get something out of these cards. Uh, and it's not like I have anybody to pass them down to in the family who would care. I don't.
0: Well, that's what the story this all started with, the uh, New Jersey man. So he didn't have kids. He had nieces and nephews. And he uh, he showed them to them over time, uh, but they never got into it the way he did. One of his nephews Uh, Told a New Jersey paper, no one in the family was as knowledgeable about the baseball card industry as Uncle Jimmy, so we really didn't know a good card from a not-so-good card. He said Uncle Jimmy handed over part of his collection to his relatives when they visited him over the past 15 years. You'll figure it out when I'm gone, Peter quoted his uncle as saying in response to their questions about his Grand Slam collection. Several million. Holy cow. Coming up next, all the headlines. What is trending? Stay with us.